Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short, reading short and deep, Neutral Tones by Thomas Hardy, first published in 1867, uh, or written in 1867 and collected in 1898. Um, believe you suggested uh, Thomas Hardy and Neutral Tones, and uh, I, when I read it, I thought that would make a good, good poem for us to discuss. It's very um, rich in imagery and meaning but it's incredibly short as well so uh, how how did you come to think it would be good for us i like i like hardy's poetry um he writes about different subjects but this particular poem has stuck with me for years because of some of its imagery uh, because I have felt some of its imagery uh, in, in nature. Um, and what one of the things that I like about it for us is that it offers an opportunity to focus on the subtle. Mm. If something is written in in grand, broad strokes, if everything is black and white, um, it becomes easy to say, or at least to think one has been adequate to the the work by saying, oh, well, this is the bad guy and this Mm. is the good guy and it's a clash of good and evil and, and so on. When things are neither black nor white... Then one is called, I think, to look more deeply. Uh, This is a short poem, but it is a deep poem. And I think by going back and forth between us, we can make that subtlety grow and realize just how powerful little things may be, which I think is part of what, what Hardy was after. It's about two people trying to understand what's going on between them. And I think, you know, you and I are trying to understand not our relationship, but but a, a poem going on between us. May I read it? Mm-hmm. Please. Neutral Tones. We stood by a pond that winter day, And the sun was white as though chidden of God. And a few leaves lay on the starving sod. They had fallen from an ash and were gray. Your eyes on me were as eyes that rove over tedious riddles solved long ago. And some words played between us to and fro on which lost the more by our love. The smile on your mouth was the deadest thing, alive enough to have strength to die, and a grin of bitterness swept thereby like an ominous bird, a wing. Since then, 
keen lessons that love deceives and rings with wrong have shaped to me your face and the God-cursed sun and a tree and a pond edged with grayish leaves. Not an uplifting poem when you read it like that. <laughs> I don't think there is a way of uh, reading it in an uplifting way. Um, but certainly the neutral tones uh, of the title uh, aren't so neutral. Um, and there's some irony there that, uh, if not makes you laugh, at least makes you grimace. Talk more about that irony, Jesse. What is it you're hearing? Well, it's it's kind of a bitter, sad memory um, of of a period of time that should have been lovely, uh, out in nature, meeting someone you love, and the memories aren't coming in a nostalgic way. They're coming in a in a sharp and painful way. And uh, the the imagery, you know, though no, not black, is certainly dour. Um, so the neutrality of the gray is, is something we want to struggle against, I think. I think that's, I, I, I agree. I think that, uh, that the speaker, uh, whoever he is and is speaking to someone else, um, I, I, we stood uh, by a pond. Um, I, I can't tell, but I, whether that other person is in the speaker's presence or not. But my my default construction of this poem is that it is a man speaking about his prior relationship with a woman, and that now he is addressing her in her absence, in his imagination. Um, when he says, we stood by a pond that winter day, the sun was white. Well, we know what that means. Um, when the sun is white, it means that there is thick cloud mm -hmm. in the sky, but not, not thunder cloud. It's just a thickness of white cloud. Um, and, and that's how the sun seems to be white. If you've ever seen such a or attended to such a phenomenon, the sun seems to diffuse through the clouds. Mm -hmm. You can't find a, a clear boundary around it. And in a way that that shading off into all of the sky is what happens with the pond that winter day where there are leaves around it. The pond is reflecting the white of the sky uh, or the gray of the sky, the neutral tones, and then it has leaves around it. So nature has died. The, the trees have lost their leaves. And in fact, the name of the tree that has lost its leaves is an ash, which of course is not only a kind of tree, but it is that mottled gray and white that we find when things burn. Mm -hmm. So the, the fire of their relationship has gone out. The, the source of life, the water, um, is now only neutral and it spreads out in the ground at their feet. The sky above spreads out. If, if I were to see 
a white piece of paper as I sit down to to want to uh, draw a picture, as you often do. Uh, I might see that as full of wonderful potential. Mm-hmm. But if I am used to seeing the beautiful, passionate lips of my beloved, and then I see her gray in death, what would have been neutral, in fact, is horrible. The speaker here, it seems to me, is, as you say, deeply ironic. Everything that he would want to think of as neutral, in fact, is devastating. And I, I think the very earth wants more than can be given now that he has has done this. He's he's rejected this woman. Um, the very earth lay, the leaves lay on the starving sod. And they spoke some words played between us to and fro. And it's for those very words that even more was lost by our love. So it's the contrast of what had been. This guy, I think, has asked her to meet him. Maybe they weren't allowed to meet in some indoor place. Maybe she was a girl from a neighboring farm. I mean, given what Hardy writes in Far From the Madding Crowd or Jude the Obscure, Tess of the D'Urbervilles, we can see young women being abused by men out in the rural countryside. Um, maybe she was a girl from a neighboring farm and he was a, he was a, a young man and she's a young woman and she thought they loved and they met at this pond in the winter. But in fact, he was telling her, no, no, I won't go on. And her eyes going back and forth over, over his face. Right. Mm-hmm. What a riddle this is. But it was, in fact, solved years ago that that he was not going to stay with her. Uh, but yet he did actually love her once. And when he realizes years later that love deceives, it's not clear whether he's saying I deceived you using love or I was deceived to stop loving you because I thought I loved someone else. I mean, everyone is deceived by love Mm -hmm. and it rings with wrong. He now feels this horrible abandonment that, that he gave her and shaped to me, it made a new image, your face and the God cursed sun and a tree and a pond edged with grayish leaves. So the physical environment of the sun above and the ground below, the, the, the white sun through the gray clouds and the gray leaves on the ground. Between them, there would be, let us just imagine a, a Christian reading for a moment, there would be the cross. But here the cross drops its leaves. It doesn't represent the possibility of resurrection. And the Holy Ghost, which one imagines as a dove, Here is a grin that is swept thereby, this grim grin, like an ominous bird a wing. So the Holy Ghost is ominous. The tree, the cross is bare. And God has already chidden the sun 
God has in fact said, you've done wrong. Well, what was wrong about the sun? It was its warmth, I think. The sun has been turned white down from from blazing orange or yellow. What made the world so spiritually dead, which is the opposite of life? It's not neutral. It's it's neutral on the color scale, but it's it's soul sucking. Mm -hmm. What what made that happen? Somehow the deception of love, whether by the man of her or of some other love that deceived him to go away from her. This is so far from neutral and so deeply bitter. It suggests a world that has been abandoned not only by God, but in fact by love. I like your reading. I don't, I don't know uh, that we can ever tell how it's supposed to be read and maybe there is no one way that it should be read in fact i'm sure that's the case um who the speaker is uh what their relationship is precisely you know if it's man and woman woman and woman man and man it's some sort of uh love relationship and and all the things you say are in this as a potential one of one of the things i would say about how nice how nice it begins and how nice it ends is that it's a it's a circle we've we start with the description of the pond the the tree the leaves the grass the sky uh the sun and we end the same way um if if it's a biblical story um the garden of eden there's a tree there's two people there's love and then how's this world end well, in this short little story of, of humanity, you know, they make some babies, they have some relationships, some problems happen, and it comes back to the end. And instead of having uh, a, a bright garden full of green and bright sunlight, you've got uh, a dead garden with starving grass and uh, a tree that's turned to ash and the leaves turned gray and the world is dead so there's a symmetry there and fitting fitting with with the reading of of looking backwards which is what this poem is all about looking backwards and seeing how things were then and even then seeing them not as they were but how they appeared compared with how we were before this point the, the two characters whoever they are had known each other before this meeting this day on the winter and you can feel it in the lines so the word chidden um is almost like children as well and i see this as a youth youth and an old perspective right that day is not a recent day it's a long day ago so when we get to the second stanza, your eyes on me were as eyes that rove over tedious riddles solved years ago. They knew each other in a certain sense. And when she looks on his face or he looks on her face, however it goes, the games of children right, that they had are no longer fun. The word games. 
and the in fact the words that they they pass back and forth between them the words that played between the two of us to and fro aren't even important in this story they're not needing to be reproduced that sure we had some words back and forth between us we're playing a game of a certain kind but it just those words don't matter because it's this it's what happened then it was the end there and so when she smiles or he smiles whoever it is who smiles the smile on your mouth was the deadest thing is it a fake smile alive enough to have the strength to die those words that play between won't last and the game isn't fun anymore a grin of bitterness swept thereby a grin is a smile but it's not a necessarily a, a, a positive smile it can be a grimace like an ominous bird a wing that the, the fact that that smile could die is a sign of the horror that was to come the keen lessons that love deceives and rings with wrong to ring is to you know squeeze out in a painful twisting that have shaped to me your face so that have imprinted in my mind your appearance on that day and the god-cursed sun and a tree and a pond edged with grayish leaves it's incredibly bitter and i don't know i don't know how to read it i the, the way you were reading it the man has had a relationship with a woman and the relationships and has ended somehow i agree that that's likely uh, the way I I see it, I'm not sure if this is a um, he said I can't marry you and this is a regretful poem or this is a betrayal I've been cheating on you or we can't marry or what it what it is but whatever it is the the painful uh, completely unneutral feeling about what's going on is keenly felt. Yes, I, I I think that interestingly, uh, one often hears the critical dictum that if you start with something specific in a story, um, it will gener- it will create a generality. But if you start with generalities, you'll really wind up with nothing. I think that is a flip observation. Your comments about this poem about the the powerful absence of specifics suggests that those diverse readings that you offer all may be valid mm-hmm. it doesn't this this poem doesn't dissipate we have enough detail to understand what's going on and i i think that as you say the language is is extraordinary. Uh, I'd like to to say in two ways. One, there are specific observations. And two, there are specific choices of word. For instance, um, that smile on your mouth was the deadest thing alive enough to have strength to die. And now, one could say the smile on your mouth was the rictus of death, Mm. and it would be over. But no, 
it turns out that death isn't an easy opposite. Life is white and death is black. No, in between, death can go on and on and on and on excruciatingly. That smile just kept dying and dying and dying. It remained alive enough to have strength to die. It makes death not a moment, but a condition that can be experienced over a long period of time. That observation sets us up for the last stanza where the speaker is acknowledging that he has learned keen lessons that love deceives. But with those, those amazing observations that, that give us such depth, uh, deep insight into human possibilities with just a touch of details, we also find from Hardy amazingly rich language in the simplest seeming places. Since then, right after he talks about the dying, right? Since then, keen left lessons that light love deceives and rings with wrong have shaped me to me, your face. Well, keen lessons, keen means sharp, painful. But keen also as a verb means to lament the dead. There was a great keening that went up among the wailing mourners, right? And rings with wrong, when we read the poem and see the word rings spelled with a W, it means exactly what you said about that painful twisting and getting all of the, all of the something out of it, whether it's water or love, which are sort of the same in this world around the pond. But also it rings with wrong as a bell rings. It just extends out into the air and fills up the entire atmosphere like the sky above in this poem. The, the ash tree that leaves its leaves so that we have leaving from the very beginning and we have the white and gray of ash. If we weren't giving this a Christian reading, but rather looking at the barren northern landscape right, of the northern Europe, the ash tree, the great world ash, Yggdrasil, mm. is what is supposed to connect the heavens, our earth, and the, the land of darkness um, in Norse mythology. But here there is no life on the great ash tree. It's as if all of the universe has, has failed because love deceives. And when all of these different words are put together, we wind up with a story that I think could be looked at as, as a, a painful lament. But I think because of the viewpoint of the speaker in that last stanza, that all of these lessons shaped to me, to me, your face and the God-cursed sun and a tree and a pond edged with grayish leaves. Um, I think he's not apologizing in his mind to her. He's realizing that love deceived him into leaving her. He then used his love unwittingly to deceive her. He had thought that he really loved her, but oh no. And He's lamenting that he no longer has love in his life. Mm -hmm. This is no apology. 
And so to take yet another way of reading this, if the tree, that one tree is the one vertical in this world and the pond edged with grayish leaves is the one round shape in this world and neither can get together. A Freudian reading of this would suggest that we have neither fertility, neither a phallic nor an olic symbol that is able to engage productively. And now that he himself has found himself abandoned by love, now he laments not for her, but for himself. He is, I think, someone who realizes how bad he has been, how untrue. Mm -hmm. And he's trying to pass that off as merely having been neutral, not black and certainly not white. Mm -hmm. It's a deep poem. Indeed. And there is always more to say.